This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. One of the things that uh, that the Lord has really impressed upon me regarding this series is in uh, what the what the Paul said by the Holy Ghost concerning the last days. And I'm going to read from. Uh, and I, I spoke to this last Sunday morning. If you were with us, you may recall. First um, Timothy chapter four, the first couple of verses. Paul said, "Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, last days, in other words, some shall depart from the faith." And he's talking about the church. Sinners can't depart from the faith. They they were never there. Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. It goes on to say, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God has created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. But one of the things that, that really caught my attention about this is that it says uh, one of the, the uh, descriptions of the last day church, or at least some in the last day church, will be that they depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy. And here's why. Having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now, we'll see and, and talk about this more as we get further into the series. But for the sake of um, uh, discussion or just to, to help make the point this morning, your conscience is the voice of your spirit. In other words, it's saying the reason the church is going to depart from the faith and get into all these doctrines of devils and seducing spirits and speaking lies and hypocrisy is because they're not listening to their spirits. Well, if that's the case, then the last days, in the last days, one of the most important things should be to learn how to listen to our spirits. Romans chapter 8, notice verse 14. It says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Notice what the, the, the uh, connector is between man and God. Notice what the definition or the, the, uh, the criteria for what Paul is talking about. Now, granted, we're pulling some verses out of, script, out of context here. But Paul is talking about in the 8th chapter of uh, Romans, he's talking about living a victorious life by letting the life of God dwell in you. So in that context, he's saying the key to victory is being led by the Holy Ghost. And notice he identifies that with the sons of God. Now, who are the sons of God? Isn't that everybody that's saved? So notice that he's saying that everybody that's born again, everybody that's made Jesus the Lord of their lives, has a right, and I believe a responsibility, to be led by the Holy Spirit. Now, how's he going to do that? Notice verse 16. The Spirit hits itself. King James says itself. He's not an it. The Spirit himself beareth witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. Notice God does not bear witness with your body. He does not bear witness with your mind. He bears witness with your spirit. Now, folks, you know as well as I do, you start talking about this, these kind of verses with most Christians, and they'll look at you like you're out of your mind. Because the idea, the concept of being led by the Spirit of God, the idea of being a spirit being, is so far into the modern-day church. It, it seems otherworldly. Well, it is. It's of the spirit world, which too many Christians don't know anything about, unfortunately. Now, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, Paul identifies the makeup of man by the Holy Ghost. In other words, the Holy Ghost inspired him to tell how God made man. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 says, 
and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, completely in other words. And I pray, God, your whole, entire spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he tells what God, how God made man. He made man a spirit. He gave him a soul and he put him in a body or he lives in a body. Man is a spirit. Notice God always starts with the most important things. Man is a spirit. He has a soul and he lives in a body. Now, knowing that, knowing that Paul is going to be the same one that writes that to Thessalonians, read verse 16 again in Romans chapter 8. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirits, not our souls, not our bodies. He bears witness with our spirit. In other words, if you're going to know the voice of God, you're going to have to know it through your spirit. Now, how many Christians do you know of? We all do, I'm sure that are looking to circumstances, they're looking to outward things, they're looking to, to natural things or thoughts in their own mind to be God speaking to them. But that's not how God speaks to us. He speaks to us through our spirits. Well, if that's true, and it is, is there anything more important than developing spiritual sensitivity? Could we not say then that spiritual sensitivity is the key to being led by the Holy Ghost? To knowing the will of God for you? Proverbs 20, verse 27. Notice it says, The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, not the body of man, not the mind of man. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Now, this is written kind of in, in uh, Old Testament terminology because in the day that this is written, they use candles to light rooms. They use candles to negotiate and navigate in the dark. We might say the spirit of man is the light bulb of the Lord today. In other words, it's where you, wherever you need to turn on a light. Now, when do you need to turn lights on? When you can't see well. You ever been in a situation, maybe as a kid, led into a room by your friends or something? And you couldn't tell. It was so dark you couldn't see. I know that we had an attic that we would go into, a friend's attic that we'd go into. And, man, that was the scariest place on the planet. First time I went up there, they blindfolded me. They were bigger than me, so I, I guess that's why I agreed to this. I'm not sure. But I wound up up there, and then they took the blindfold off, and I thought, oh, great, the blindfold's coming off. But it was just as dark without the blindfold as it was with it. And then they left the room real quick. And I don't, I don't know where to move. I don't know where to turn. I, it's like I started feeling around, kicking around, stuff like that. Finally got it to a place over on the, the wall and felt the light switch, turned it on, and all of a sudden I could see. Well, that's what the spirit of man is. It's the candle of the Lord. It's what God uses to enlighten you. Now, once the light was on in that attic, there were a lot of cool stuff up there. I mean, there was fun stuff and there was all kinds of stuff. I stayed around and poked around and looked around and see what was there. But when it was dark, I didn't know that. Now, when the light came on, not, it wasn't that all of a sudden things changed in the room. It's that I became aware of what was in the room. I didn't need to feel around anymore to see where to take my next step. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord searching all the inward parts of the belly. That means this, therefore. It means the spirit of man is what God uses to reveal to you, to reveal things to you, and secondly, to give you direction. He enlightens you from your spirit. He reveals things to you through your spirit. He gives you direction through your spirit, not through your mind, 
and not through your body, meaning your circumstances or your situation or whatever. And again, how many Christians do you know that are praying that God will change the circumstances to show show them what way to go? Do you realize what a wasted prayer that is? That's not the way God works. God enlightens you. He gives you direction. He reveals to you through your spirit. If we don't know that we are spirit beings, if we don't know how to contact God with our spirits, if we don't know how to uh, develop our spirits and listen to our spirits, how in the world are we ever going to know the will of God? You know, a scary thought to me, to try to estimate the percentage of Christians that are walking in the will of God for their lives. Because I know how few Christians even accept the concept or the teaching, have even, even, ever, ever even heard the teaching that man is a spirit being. Well, if you don't know your spirit and you don't know how to listen to God from your spirit, how do you know to find the will of God for your life? I mean, it's very possible. This less than 5% of the church population worldwide that are walking in the will of God for their lives. Well, what does that mean? That means whatever the percentage is that haven't found the will of God for their lives are just muddling along as well as best as they can, operating on natural gifts, natural inclinations, natural thinkings, just to make their way. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Now, whatever somebody, you or me or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew 8, 17 tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. You're looking in the future for something to happen. You need to turn around and look behind you and what the Bible says has already happened. Because behind you is the cross. And on the cross, Jesus shed his blood for your sins, for your peace, literally your financial well-being, and your sickness. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to MikeWeb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Philippians chapter 1, Paul talks about his own experience, the dilemma that he was in. And notice that he said, um, what do I want to start? I think I want to start in verse 21. He said, for to me... To live is Christ and to die is gain. Folks, if that's the place that Paul came to because of the revelation he received from Jesus, isn't that a good place for us to attain as well? For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If you look at death as a gain, what is there to fear? Now, I'm not saying people ought to be foolish and be reckless with their lives. But death is nothing to fear. At least it wasn't for Paul. Now, why is that? Why was it nothing to fear for Paul? He said, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I want not. In other words, I haven't decided yet. Please notice that Paul is making a decision between physical life and death. Well, Pastor Mike, you mean that's our choice? Paul says it is. If this was inspired by the Holy Ghost and God's no respecter of persons, then if it was a a choice for Paul, it's a choice for you and me. 
you have something to say about it. Well, I've never heard anything like that in all my days. You might want to read the Bible every now and then because it's been there all the time. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose, I what not. In other words, I haven't decided. For I'm in a strait betwixt two. Here's the, 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 the quandary that I'm in and as far as my decision is concerned. I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. See, that's why death is nothing to fear. Physical death is just departing and being with Christ, which is far better. Now, if he just said it was better, that'd be good, but he said it was far better. Which is far better. Notice verse 24. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh or live in the body is more needful for you. So what's he talking about? He's talking about he's trying to decide whether or not he wants to leave his body. Now, who's he? When Paul says, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, who's he mean? What does he mean when he says I? He's talking about him, the real him. He's talking about the man that lives on the inside of the body. He's talking about his spirit. Paul said in Romans chapter 7, verse 22, I delight after the law of God, or delight in the law of God after the inward man. Paul called the spirit a man on the inside. A man on the inside. So if we put these things together, the spirit of man or the man on the inside is the one that God reveals and directs, reveals to and directs, gives direction to. Paul said, I'm, I haven't decided what I'm going to do because it's better for you if I abide in the flesh or live in the body. But I want to depart and be with Christ. I want you to notice, folks, living is not the issue. He's going to live whether he stays in his body or goes to heaven to be with Christ. Living is not the issue. Living is never an issue for any spirit being. Since God made man in his own image, man is an eternal spirit. The question is, where are you going to live? Like they say in real estate, the three most important factors are location, location, location. That is so much more even true where eternity is concerned. It's location, location, location. So he's saying, I'm going to live one way or the other. See, people that go to hell exist. We think of living as being existence. They exist in hell, and they'll experience eternal torment. Or you can exist in heaven, experiencing eternal joy. It all comes down to Jesus. It's not a matter of what somebody does or doesn't do other than whether or not they accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Well, Paul's certainly done that. And so he says, I've got a desire to depart and be with Christ. I've come to the realization of how things work and what things in heaven are like. And remember, he's the one that was caught up into the third heaven and saw and heard things that he wasn't able to describe. King James says it's not lawful to say, but it literally means I'm not able to describe to you. Well, I guess after you see things like that, it would be easier to, to have a desire, develop a desire to depart and be with Christ. Folks, your best day on earth doesn't even count when it comes to heaven. Paul saw those things. And so he decided, he said, I'm ready to go. I want to go. I want to go. The man on the inside wants to go. But it's better for you if I stay here in the body. Better for you if I stay here in the body. 
Now notice something else Paul said about the inward man. Notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul speaking of the, of the spirit, he said, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, we found that to be true, huh? Outward man meaning the body. Though the outward man perish or is decaying, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. You never get any older spiritually. That doesn't mean you can't mature spiritually. You can. But you don't get any older. The spirit man is renewed day by day. Now what's he renewed by? Well, Paul said in Romans chapter 12, to renew your mind with the word of God. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind to the word of God. Now, why is that true? Why is that necessary? Why is that so important? And folks, that is, uh, this is my opinion. You judge this for whatever you think is worth. I can prove it to you by the Bible, but I'm just going to throw it out as my opinion. The word's going to be the di- dividing line in the last days. The dividing line between those that depart from the faith and those that stay steady in the things of God is not those people that depart lose their salvation. It means they depart from the word. They don't lose their salvation. They stay saved. They just quit walking according to the truth of the word. That's where the dividing line is going to be. The dividing line is going to be the word. Well, why is that so important? Because it's the word that renews your spirit. Jesus said in John 6, 63, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and their life. He said in, in, when he was tempted of the devil in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, what kind of life is he talking about? Man shall not live by bread alone. What does he mean? Does he mean the word is necessary for, to live a natural life? Well, it's not. The unsaved live without the word every day. They live a natural life. The life he's talking about is an eternal life. He's talking about a spirit life, a spirit-dominated life. The devil has just tempted him to turn stones into bread to satisfy his physical needs instead of his spiritual purpose. And Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Why? Because the word is the only thing that God has ever put in place that fits or feeds or develops you spiritually. Now, with that in mind, how many Christians do you know that are starving themselves every day? The Word's the only thing that can feed your spirit. There is no spiritual development. There is no spiritual sustenance. There is no spiritual growth apart from the Word of God. Now, notice how Peter calls it. Peter refers to the, the things of the Spirit. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 4. He's talking about wives and how they should deal with their husbands and so forth. But for our sake this morning, for our purpose... I want to pull the, out the principle that he speaks to where he talks about spiritual things. First Peter chapter 3, verse 4, he says, But let it be the hidden man of the heart. He's telling the wives, don't put all your time and all your attention into, folk, into your hair and your makeup and your clothes and all that kind of stuff. But he says, adorn yourself spiritually. Put effort into spiritual things. Well, that's not just true for the wives. That should be true for everybody, isn't it? So notice what he says. But let it be the hidden man of the heart. The hidden man of the heart. The hidden man of the heart. Now what does he mean, the hidden man of the heart? Well, he's talking about the spirit of man. He goes on to say, let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. So your heart's got to be your spirit. 
Now, he's not talking about the, the organ inside of our bodies that pumps blood. He's talking about the inner man. He's talking about the spirit of man. Even the, the ornament of a, of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Now, why does Paul, or Paul calls him the inward man. Paul identifies the spirit as the inward man. He says that inward man is renewed day by day. We know that's by the word. Now, notice what Peter says about that inward man. He calls him the hidden man of the heart, meaning the spirit. Why does he call him hidden? Because he's hidden from your five physical senses. He's hidden from the natural man. He's hidden from the body. He's hidden from the circumstances of life. He's the hidden man of the heart. Now that helps helps us understand what Jesus was talking about. Where Jesus said, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. Meaning his spirit. Meaning the prayer of faith that he's identifying or the operation of faith that he's identifying in, math, in Mark chapter 11, verses 23 and 24, he's talking about being a heart operation, a spiritual operation. Here's another scary thought. What percentage of the church's prayers are spiritual prayers as opposed to natural prayers, as opposed to mental praying? Folks, I'm not so bothered by the the lack of signs and wonders and miracles in these last days or in the church world i'm amazed that god's been able to do anything with the church whatsoever because the church has been trying to do spiritual things with natural means and that doesn't work that doesn't work turn with me over to first corinthians chapter 14 let me show you something else paul said about this first corinthians chapter 14 Paul said in verse 14, For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. Notice Paul makes the distinction between the spirit and the understanding or the mind. We might say it this way. He makes the distinction between spirit and soul. Your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. God doesn't bear witness with your mind. He bears witness with your spirit. He doesn't bear witness with your emotions. He bears witness with your spirit. Now, Paul says, here's a dividing line. Here's one way that you can tell. He said, if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean his head is not working? No, it means it's not productive as far as the prayer is concerned. The prayer doesn't come through his mind. The words, the speaking in other tongues doesn't come through his mind. It bypasses that it goes directly from his spirit to God. Now the body has to be yielded in order to speak with tongues or to pray in tongues. But it's not an operation of the body. It's not an operation of the mind. It's an operation of the spirit. So he's saying his mind is not productive. Now I don't know about you, but a lot of times when I'm praying in tongues, my mind starts wandering to all kinds of things. And I have to bring it back over and think about the things that I need to be thinking about. So it doesn't mean your mind's not operational, but it means it's not productive as far as your prayer is concerned. So again, I'll ask the question, how much of the church is praying spirit prayers rather than mind mental prayers, prayers of the mind? Well, which one's more effective? Now, don't get me wrong, folks. Your mind can play a part in your prayer life and should. Paul goes on to say in verse 15, what is it then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the spirit and I'll sing with the understanding also. In other words, both are important. 
So praying with your understanding or praying with your mind must be helpful or else the Holy Ghost would have said, forget about that praying with your mind and just pray in tongues all the time. So it can be helpful, but what makes it helpful? What makes mental praying helpful? Well, remember the Bible says God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. That means if you're going to contact God, you're going to have to contact him spiritually, not mentally. God's not a mind. Well, how can we pray with our minds or with our understanding? Well, we might say in in common vernacular, how, how can we pray in English, assuming that's your first language? How can we pray in English effectively? Well, there's only one way, and that is to pray the word. Now, what percentage of the church is doing that? For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Isn't it interesting that Paul talked about his uh, frequency of praying in tongues when he was writing to the Corinthians? He said, I speak with tongues more than all of you. Isn't it interesting that Paul would make that kind of statement to the Corinthian church particularly because they were a tongue-talking bunch? So much so that all of their services were, were basically speaking in tongues and people coming in from the outside didn't know what was going on and they had a reputation of being the crazy people. I got to tell you, folks, that's one of the things that, that made me really resist getting filled with the Holy Ghost because I knew how people talked about the Pentecostal church in, in the town that I was in. I did not want to be associated with those nuts. And I found out that God doesn't want you to be a nut just because you're filled with the Holy Ghost. Otherwise, he would have told the Corinthian church, you guys are on the right track. I know everybody thinks you're crazy, but don't worry. That's the plan of God for you. But in other words, but instead he brought them back to a place where they could have order in their services where people wouldn't think they were crazy. It was a great revelation for me to realize God doesn't want people to think you're crazy. I wish some others would get that revelation. So that held me back. Held me back a lot. Now I see how foolish it was. I can see it was just lack of understanding. Which holds a lot of us out of a lot of things I guess. But here's Paul saying. When I pray with an unknown tongue. My spirit is praying. Look at how the church has limited itself. The church that argues about whether or not speaking in tongues is for everybody. Look at how the church has limited itself from a vital means of prayer. I wonder if that has anything to do with Paul's revelation. Paul talks about speaking with tongues more than the Corinthian church. And it's Paul's revelation. Paul was the one that was caught up into the third heaven and heard unspeakable words and so forth. I wonder if those things had anything to do with one another. We can see time after time in the book of Acts where Paul is led by the Spirit of God in different ways, a variety of ways. Sometimes it was by the inward witness. Sometimes it was a dream. Sometimes it was a vision. There's all kinds of different ways that Paul was led. But it's all being led by God through his Spirit. I wonder if that had anything to do with the fact that he spoke the tongue so much. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. It's the God's means of revealing to you. It's God's means of enlightening you and giving you direction. Those things have to be related, folks. The Bible tells us that this world that we live in is influenced and in many ways controlled by unseen spiritual forces, evil forces. But God's working behind the scenes, too, by the Holy Spirit. He tells us that we can develop ourselves spiritually so that we can be sensitive to His voice and His leading. Thanks for watching today. 
Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Romans 5, 5 says God has shed his love abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. And so when somebody's born again, the thing that changes on the inside of them is love. The evidence of that new creation is love. But then the second work of the Holy Ghost that the Bible tells about is being filled with the Spirit of God. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.